Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Okay, so a couple announcements. Um, next week, May 7, is our corporate gathering at Rocky Ridge Park. I think the address is 3900 Diner Road in York. And we will be meeting at the Scarlet, Scarlet Oak Pavilion at 1130. Bring a potluck lunch. And if you are following our podcast, I'm going to quote Joe, bring a covered dish, but make sure there's food under it. Because <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that was good. And so, yeah, we're going to have a good day out there at the park. And then the following week, uh, we'll be back into our home group studying First uh, Corinthians chapter 7. So just kind of keep, keep up to date on all of that. And that'll be good. So... Uh, with that being the case, let's move right into it. Today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to kind of discuss the whole chapter. There's two, there's two specific sections to it. Uh, in, our, in our notebook Bibles, the first section is lawsuits among believers. And then further down, starting in verse 12, glorifying God in body and spirit. So, did anybody get a chance to read the whole chapter ahead of time? Most everybody? Pretty, it's pretty legit, huh? So um, I, I'm not going to actually read the whole chapter, I don't think, word for word, right down through it. I think what we might do is just read a couple couple verses out of each paragraph and just kind of discuss as we move through. Um, and so earlier on, does anybody have anything to offer, you know, when you read the chapter yourself? I know, Joe, you really, verse 11 really stood out to you. Um and I think that that's, I think that's the hinge pin of the entire chapter. Yeah. Right there. So, I mean, Joe, do you want to read verse 11 for us? And, and we'll just kind of start, make that our center, our foundation, as we move through the rest of the content. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. May I ask, like, what... What about that really kind of stood out to you in such a profound way? Uh, pretty much, you know, it, 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 we're, none of us are angels. And I think if you basically truly wish for cleansing, then you will be cleaned. Yeah. You have to truly pray and have it in your heart, not just say, I'm going to do it. Tomorrow I'll be forgiven. Wednesday I'm going to do it. Thursday I'll be forgiven because I'm asking for it. So I think as long as you're just being honest with God and honest with yourself, you know, I, I'm, yeah, there's always going to be this question of judgment slash non-judgment or what have you. But I think it's, you know, we all, we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. And they say that, some will tell you that if you break one commandment, it's like breaking them all. And whether you're stealing a quarter or $10,000, you're breaking a commandment. So any of these could be breaking a commandment. Mm. And uh, you know, as long as you, I think, truly wish and you pray for and ask for uh, forgiveness, mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Does anybody else have any thoughts about um, verse 11? You know, before we kind of get into some stuff. Um, 
I know I don't know that I have the words, but I mean, yeah, verse eleven also stuck out with me because you know it just goes to show that you know none of us are perfect. None of us, you know, well maybe some of us are, but you know, a lot of us are not, and that you know we've overcome things. We've had a change of heart, and I really feel like that's what it is. Yes. It's it's the change of heart. It's the yes. desire. Even if you mess up, but you, in your heart, want to change. There's yes. a difference between that and saying, "Yes, I'm going to do this tomorrow," because you've premeditated to do that. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, whether, you know, different when you're trying and you mess up. Well, you know what? You pick yourself up and you try again. You know, different, different set of thoughts there. Isn't it interesting that earlier on in the book, in 1 Corinthians, and I'm trying to remember exactly where we were at in our conversations, but uh, Paul talked about people who claim to be believers, but refuse to get help, refuse to get into any kind of recovery. I think we talked about that last week, or was it the week before? I think it was last week. Was it last week that we talked about that a little bit? Um, about these people who they, they walk around claiming to be Christians, they claim to be believers, they claim to be this, but yet they're living with, with these lifestyles and, and not wanting to get help. They're denying the fact that they have a problem or anything like that. And so I really think that, that that's important to kind of keep in context as we're building on each of these chapters and understand more and more about Paul's letter here, that when Paul says in verse 11, and some of you used to be like this, I think that's going to be a lot of our focus for our conversation today is what is Paul saying when he's saying you used to be like this? And so I think he's really making a, a distinction between that. Um, the remedy paraphrase verse 11 says, and some of you were just that, but your minds have been washed in the truth about God that Jesus brought. Your heart's motives and attitudes have been set right with God and your characters have been cleansed to reveal the character of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the working of God's spirit. I really like that. Talks about that. Your your minds have been cleansed and your spirits have been cleansed. You know. So with that being said, let's start. Uh, let's just kind of start the top and and we'll read down through a little bit. You know, he he starts out in verse one talking about disputes against each other, going before the courts. Um, verse one. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or, do, or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? And don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? What do y'all think about that? I know, Joe, you just said um, you had a good conversation about with a group about angels and demons. Did they, Did that verse come up in your discussions about that? Uh, no, 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 it did not. Yeah. Yeah, that one struck out to me, too, that three, number three, um, really, really kind of struck me as like, wow, you know, really didn't think about that, you know, and, and that's, pretty amazing actually right yeah that you know eventually we're going to be judging angels 
And it's... It almost seems like, whoa. What angels are we judging? I was going to say, are we judging the third that fell was Satan? Or are we judging the ones that are still in heaven? Mm. Yeah. I guess question. that's questionable. I guess my mind completely went to the probably the ones that fell. But, you know, but we don't know. I think it's funny how he asked rhetorical questions. so what do you what would be what would be um when he talks about in verse one or two i this really stood out to me where he talked about why as a believer and you're having an issue do you go to a judge or a magistrate that's not a believer why would you do that and so i i just kind of started asking myself some questions like why is he making that distinction between the two and for me i came up with this concept of like heart motive so God versus Godless. And so if you, and I think it goes to like, you know, the law model or how you view God. And so if you're Godless, then justice equals punishment. And, you know, your, your, your heart motivation, again, referring back to verse 11, where Paul says, and some of you used to be like this before you were cleansed, your heart motive is fear and selfishness. Your heart motive is imposed, you know, impose rules but if your heart has been changed and you have christ's character you know created within you as paul's referencing here then then that judge or magistrate would focus on things of like a design law nature of like a healing right because biblical justice isn't about punishment it's about doing what's right setting right or healing and so I think Paul's talking about if you're a believer in God and, and God's methods have been created in you and you're having a dispute amongst yourself, why would you go to somebody that's not, that doesn't operate that same way? Why would you go to somebody who's operating under fear and selfishness who's unconverted? Because they're, what, they would, what they would propose needs to happen to fix the problem is not based on God's methods. It's based on Satan's methods. So for, that's how I interpret that. Um, and so he's basically saying, like, why would you do that? You're, you're, you're acting or you're working contrary to what God's trying to accomplish. What do you guys think of that? Well, you kind of also look at it the opposite way. If two believers go before a judge who's not a believer, the judge doesn't have a dog in the fight. What do you mean? Say more about that. He's going to look at it more from a, a situation. Again, you know, we don't know what the situation is, but he might look at it more from an earthly point of view versus a biblical and godly point of view. Mm-hmm. And so he can't, he can't, you know, he might be able to be partial in a sense of not throwing, you know, I understand the, the God type, the God look into it. So if you don't have a dog in the fight, you know, that's why you would see a judge. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be unbiased with no opinion of what your past or what your beliefs are. He's supposed to look at the facts that are shaped, uh, that are directly in front of you, in front of, that have been presented to the judge. And if he or she is unbiased, they're not going to use any personal opinion to make their decision. They're going to look strictly at the facts and the ramifications of why the people are there and how are we going to deal with it. 
Verse 6 is really interesting to speak a little bit more to what you're talking about, Joe. Uh, Paul says, instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. So, if you're a believer, here's here's where, where my this takes my mind. If you're a believer, in whom or where do you place your trust? In God. Mm-hmm. As a believer, you place your trust in God. As an unbeliever... In whom or where do you place your trust? In yourself. But are the two brothers going to court believers or unbelievers? Well, according to what he's talking about, the brothers that are going to court are believers. These are two believers who are going to court, and they're going to court to an unbeliever. So he's he's bringing this out. He's basically saying, you know, you're not, for, for me, here's what I understand this to be, your trust isn't placed in the right place. If you're saying you're a believer, then your trust should be in God. You're trusting God with the outcomes of these situations because he knows everything. But by by doing certain things, you know, in essence, going to court, things like that, suing people, suing other Christians, then you're not, you're not putting your trust in God. It's still very self-motivated. Right. If you're... There you go. Thank you. Well said. Yeah. Still very self-motivated. Yeah. So moving down through, uh, starting at verse 7, just kind of continuing on down, um, we're going to get into some verses here that are really, really cool. And this is why I think we kind of focused on verse 11 first to get into this. So um, verse 7, as it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? So let's pause right there. What do you, when he talks about unrighteous, what is he meaning? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Who's an unrighteous person? What's well, a really easy way we can describe that? And then I think probably an unrighteous person is, is still, again, it goes back to the self. If you're right. putting yourself number one, mm-hmm. you're not putting God number one. Right. You're filling that space. Yes. Yes. So a self-oriented person. Say again, Seth? Self-oriented person. Okay. And that also connects to what Paul's talking about in previous chapters about, you know, someone who refuses to get help or something like that or also um even in john's letters he alluded to that too when we did like first and second john about you know if someone comes claiming to be this but they're teaching contrary to god's methods don't give them a platform to share because they're not you know it's all kind of connected i think so all right so uh do not be deceived no sexually immoral people idolaters idolaters adulterers or males who have sex with males no thieves greedy people drunkards verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit god's kingdom and then on to our key text and some of you used to be like this but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of god so you know don't anybody raise your hands but all of us can can read that list and we can say I used to be like this, or I'm still like that in some areas. Anybody could 
anybody can relate to that. And I think, you know, and you'll find several of these kinds of lists throughout Paul's writings in different places. He lists things like this. But I think we as a church and as a people need to be very careful when we read things like this to not say, well, because you engage in a specific behavior, you're clearly not going to heaven. I think that's very, a very dangerous place for us to be. Yeah, it is. Because what's the heart motive behind it? I really like, um, in the remedy, when I read down through this chapter, he used, he used different wording. Because I know that this is kind of a, all, all of these things. Well, first, contextually, do, do, do you, you know, do we know why Paul is specifically writing this way? And even further on in the, in the chapter, he talks about, you know, verse 18, he talks about prostitution, um, you know, joining, joining your body with a prostitute, you become one with a prostitute. Further down, verse 18 is a key text. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral, it sins against his own body. Um, he really kind of talks about this in a, in a big way. Is Paul specifically addressing the issue of prostitution and sexual immorality and homosexuality and idolatry and thieving and greed and drunks and view verbally oppressive and, and, you know, any other words that you want to put in there? Basically Las Vegas, right? Is he specifically addressing those things or is there a spiritual context to it? What do you guys think about that? I think he's. I think there's a there's a spiritual context to it. Yeah. A much deeper meaning. Yes. Do you have any ideas what you think? Like, speak more about what you think. Oh boy. You're you're on to it. You're absolutely on to it. Yeah. Um. It's well. I mean, I mean, like he says, he's he he's exasperated in his letter when he's talking or he, when he's written here. You know, you see a lot of exclamation marks. Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievable, but unbelievers. But it's the same kind of thing yeah. throughout. Yeah. As he's he's like exasperated. It's like, why are you? Yeah. Hurting yourselves. Exactly. Why are you, you know, you, you say you love God, you say you follow God, you yep. say you want to be like God, yep. but yet you hurt each other yep. and you hurt yourselves. Yeah. So the, the religions in Corinth is a port city. And so you had, but Corinth is different than, than, than any other port city. A lot of port cities is like, you know, it's on the ocean. So ships come in and that's the whole thing. But Corinth is different because you had where Corinth was was located you had ship trading coming in one side but then you had like land caravan trading come in from the other side so so corinth was a super hub for you can find and do anything you wanted and most of the religions and churches in corinth they joined worshiping god and prostitution as the same thing right so the priests were actually priestesses who were the prostitutes and you would come to worship God through being with prostitutes and you would offer offerings to God by paying the prostitutes. Yeah. That's contextually what Paul's addressing in this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And so when he's talking about, mm -hmm. when, when he sounds exasperated, he is because he's working with the people in Corinth 
who he's trying to bring the truth about God to them and get them out of this pagan system of worship, of joining God and worship and prostitution as one and calling it good worship or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's where he's talking about, you know, further on in the chapter, don't you know that you're, you are joined to that person, but we need to be joined to God. And he's really trying to break this, this whole system up. And, and because that has been their culture, it's, it's infiltrating the early Christian church in Corinth. He's kind of bringing that out. So if we think about, if we think about some of these things, And a self-motivated person, you know, when we read down through these lists about adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and greedy people and drunkards and viewably peace swindlers and um, idolaters, I mean, what does, you know, how do you read that list and make it make sense with a God of love? I was uh, having a conversation with Mark just the other day mm-hmm. about how, to some degree, we have control over what we feel. And to some degree, we have control over what we think. And obviously, we have control over like how we behave and stuff. And I think, obviously, if you're somebody who's you know programmed themselves through a whole life, it's going to be much, much harder. You're digging yourself deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I just lost my train of thought. So you're talking about your thoughts and your feelings, and then if you've programmed yourself over your whole life, it makes it harder and harder. You're reinforcing your your thought processes yeah. or your beliefs. But I guess if you're somebody who's you know got a lot of willpower and you know awareness, mm-hmm. I think is a, a big part of it. If you're aware of what you're doing, isn't really helping you, and you know, I don't know. I just it it depends on where you come from, right? Because if you're not taught to be aware, right? Then you're not going to be right. But are any of these lists here worse than the other? Like in no. other words, right? No. However, let me ask you this question. Not not however. So let me ask you this question: When God chose King David mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, did God know that he was going to be an idolater, an adulterer, and a murderer? Yes, he knew. Straight up. But it didn't change God's choice, you know, in seeing who David was. Mm-hmm. So what's, and then God later on in the Old Testament, I can't remember the exact text off the top of my head, but he says that David was a man after my own heart. But David was an adulterer. He had clearly a sexual and moral problem. He was a murderer to try to cover it all up. Mm-hmm. And so... And so what's what's the difference there? Because here here Paul is making this whole list and saying no unrighteous person and here's a, a big list of people who, you know, who in in other words, depending on what law lens you have, I guess you could say, people who do any of these things are unrighteous. Right? That would be what some would say that's like the old school way of thinking. I guess the difference is that David would take a step back and he I guess would ask for forgiveness and continue to try to be a better person or a, a better uh, I don't know, worship leader. I'm not totally sure what the word is, but you know what I'm trying to say. I think so. Yeah, go ahead. David, for all his faults, when it came down to it, he loved God. Right. He wanted to do right. 
he was he had he had faults. Yeah. He you know, but he in his core yeah. he wanted to do what was right. Right. Absolutely. Has anyone thought of the concept that, and maybe Paul's talking about this here a little bit, you know, David was the youngest of a bunch of sons, and when Samuel showed up to talk to Jesse and say, you know, one of your sons, God's God's chosen one of your sons to be anointed, and Jesse lines up all his sons, and Samuel looks at them all and he says, are these all your sons? And Jesse, David's dad, said, no, I got one more. He's, I can't remember the word off the top of my head. But the Hebrew word that Jesse used to describe David, his youngest son, was translated the worst, the worthless one. The worthless one. So Jesse responds to the prophet Samuel, the priest Samuel, yeah, I got one more, but he's the worthless one. He's out in the field. So imagine growing up in a home where you're perpetually thought of and spoken to as the worthless one. How would that affect your mind? And, and what would that, right? So, so addiction is real. Coping mechanisms are real. Pain, trauma, and wounds are real. And so I think with the situation of a lot of people and, and, and David's people as well, and with David, that it took him working through his pain and his addictions and his, and his struggles to the point of, being an adulterer, stealing a man's wife, murdering the guy to cover it all up, to hit rock bottom enough for him to finally, for God to reach him. But like you said, Lola, the whole time his heart was not selfishly motivated. In other words, you can have people who struggle with pornography, adultery, homosexuality, thieving, being drunk, verbally abusive, Greedy, have gambling problems, be abusive. And they selfishly choose to do it anyway. Right? You can have people that do that. They know it's wrong, but they selfishly choose to do it anyway. They don't care. I know, I know being, you know, I know having a sexual and moral problem is wrong. I don't care. I do it anyway. I know having a gambling problem is wrong. I don't care. I do it anyway. Right? And I think that's what Paul's talking about in the previous chapter where he was saying, throw that guy out. If he says he's a Christian and he doesn't care, he's going to do it anyway. Then, then don't. That's, that is diagnostic. You can diagnose that you can judge. That's an unconverted heart. Mm-hmm. But I think what Paul's talking about when he said, and some of you used to be like this. He's saying, you may still struggle with some of these things, but you don't want to be like this. You're like King David. Search me, O God. See the wicked way in me. And so if, if a person struggles with any of these things, but they recognize that it's a problem and they, they don't want to be like this, God help me grow, that's a, that's a totally different person, isn't yeah. it? It's a completely different person. And I like the way that Tim Jennings put it in the remedy when he kind of went down through that list. He said, people who selfishly do this. I love the way how I kind of worded that. People who selfishly did it, do these things. What do you guys think about all that? Do you have any other thoughts to add to it? Well, 
And then it really comes down to, you know, taking away or moving that self from the situation. Yeah. And allowing God to lead in the situation. Yeah. It's, a, it's always self-motivated. Yeah. You know, I, in my own self, just to share just a little bit about my story, for, for years and years and years and years and years, I lived in denial of the reality of my situation, my condition, for years. And and I, I absolutely fit, you know, Paul's description of a person who shows up and they say they're a believer, you know, for many years of my life, like, I fit that. I fit that. And... Um, and I, I refused to accept, you know, I did not do like David did when Nathan would come and say, you know, in the story, do you realize what's going on here? And, and David didn't deny it or blame shift. He accepted responsibility and he said, Oh, whoa, you know, like, and he wrote Psalms 51 as prayer of repentance and all of that. You know, I was not like that for many years. And so, um, and, and I, you know, it's my prayer every day that God will continue to help me be like David and say, search me and take responsibility and continue on this growing journey. Um, you know, so I can relate to some of this stuff. You know, I, you know, not, not very long ago, you know, within recent years and, and previous, you know, I, I remember this, you know, I was leading Sabbath school. Um, when I was a lot younger, several years ago, and I was following through the quarterly, and one of the one of the topics of the quarterly came up about sexual immorality. And I'll never forget this story because I, I read the lesson, and I skipped it. I wasn't going to teach the lesson to the kids because um, I was too much in denial of my own brokenness in that area at the time that I was. I was in no way even able to discuss it with anybody else. And so I came up with my own lesson or whatever, and we skipped it and we moved on. And I never forgot that story and that situation and how, you know, you, you avoid it. And so I think really, I think Paul's really talking about, you know, Joe, when you talked about verse 11 being the key, it's true. Because when Paul says, and you used to be like that, but you're not like that anymore. And that just... It's such a hope-filled verse, man. It is. You know? Does anybody have anything to add to that? What do you think of verse 12? I love verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. What do you think of that? So he just goes down through naming a whole list of things that you can do. Or that you shouldn't do. But then he says, but I can do anything I want. Free will. Right, just because you can do it. Like, anybody can do whatever they want. But 
doesn't mean it's the best thing or the good thing or the right thing or loving thing, whatever. Right. You're you're free to do whatever you whatever your heart desires. Makes makes me beg makes you beg the question to ask yourself the question what what has mastery over me? What things in my life do I not have freedom and autonomy? Because it masters over me. So I took a little inventory myself of that. And one of the things I wrote was caffeine, sugar, and debt. Think about debt. You're free to go get a loan. But you lose freedom and autonomy. It is master over you now, the debt. You know? Emotions. Say more about that. I mean, like, you're allowed to feel how you want to feel doesn't mean you should necessarily act on it. Mmm. You know? I'd go a step further, and you're allowed to feel, but that doesn't mean that you should allow yourself to stay in those. Yeah, to keep to keep feeling like that. Like, at some point, you have to make a choice, and, like, you're going to move past that. Otherwise, it's going to cause harm. It's not beneficial. Those who say in the Bible, uh, take captive every thought and surrender it unto Christ. Right? So we are supposed to be, you know, in control of our thoughts and not let our thoughts have mastery over us. That's hard for me. I get stuck big time. And that's, you know, referencing earlier on before we started our discussion here, you know, one of the big things that I was struggling with this past week was that exact thing. You know, my thoughts get stuck and then bad things happen because of it. And trying to trying to really understand how to, like, what, what I need to put in place, you know, to not be like that, you know. Uh, reading down further, does anybody have any other verses that popped out or concepts that, that you know, what does it say about God or um, what stands out to you? Uh, let's focus on 18, 19, and 20. Those are three key texts that a lot of people use. You'll, you'll find them all over the place. And let's just discuss that for a little bit as to, to, to what's going on there. Uh, someone read it for us. 18, 19, and 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So, I have a question. If all sin is sin, and all sin is equal, why is Paul making a distinction here about it? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Why is he making that distinction if sin is sin? What do you think about that? Interesting. Right? Yeah. It's like he's, it's like he's challenging something. Any thoughts? 
I don't like it, but it's an interesting verse for sure. I don't. I'm still trying to figure out like the actual definition of a, a sexual immortality. Immorality. Immorality. Sorry. Like I'm, because the thing is, I feel like a lot of these terms are like everyone defines them a little bit differently. So mm-hmm. I just don't know. That's 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 a big that's a big key to anything in life. How do you think? What do you think about it? How does it affect you? How does it affect the other person? It's not that bad if I do it. It's not that. It's only bad if you do it. It's only, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. So. And that's how a lot of people think about these things. But you said something, Seth, that was really interesting about how do you how do you define it? Because you could have in one culture something is culturally normal, mm-hmm. and in another culture culturally is not normal at all. Yeah. And you could say that one's sexually immoral and one isn't. So how do you define it exactly? That's a very good question. It's a very good question. So intentions. Ooh, what? Intentions. So if your intention is to be selfish, then that would definitely fall under the sexual and moral, right, specifically in this verse. But if you're doing something that is focusing on somebody else, like truly focusing on somebody else, then there's going to be a lot of things you're not going to do, right? Because, I mean... Like, if, you know, these people are, are be, uh, you know, going and worshipping with prostitutes, like, right. who, who are they, um, you know, glorifying or whatever at that moment, right? Themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're using somebody else to mm-hmm. glorify themselves. So... It's, it's your intention. Is it you truly have intentions to do the best for somebody else, or are you doing it selfishly at the expense of somebody else? I definitely cleared things up in my head. That's for sure. What? I definitely cleared things up in my head. So, so if you think about sex, you know, sex is something that God designed. He created humans. To engage in sex to glorify God, right? In, in creation, Adam and Eve, God said, let us make man and woman in our image. And he gave us gave humanity the ability to procreate. So he gave us the ability to for, for one individual to give themselves in love to another individual who also gives themselves in love, okay? And they can create life. Just like God did. God gave of himself and created life. Right? So it is a, it's a mini object lesson that points to who God is. And so to answer your question, Seth, my definition of sexual immorality is anything that distorts that view. Okay? Now, I chose my words carefully when I, when I gave that definition on purpose because the, 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 we live in a sinful world. So everything, Romans, Paul, Paul writes in Romans that all nature groans under the weight of sin, even down to the cellular microbiology and neuro, neurology of, of humanity and the whole world, creation, okay? So I chose my words carefully. I specifically did not say a man and a woman. I said a person in love 
joining with another person in love. Because I believe personally that fundamentally, that's what God intends. It's, 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 it's not self-motivated. It is love and others focused. And we live in a sinful, broken world. So it can look very differently. Paul writes in Romans, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own minds. And so for me, the sexual immorality aspect of what he's talking about is, and Sarah, you, you, you worded it great, a person who is selfishly motivated to engage in any kind of sexual act, not for the purpose or the benefit of, you know, a good definition of love is to know, want, and do what's in the best interest of another person. So if you're engaging in sex in any form of sexual act, which is designed by God to bring him glory, not focused on the best interest of the other person, then you're sexually immoral. That's my definition of it. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. And I, and I recognize that there's, you know, that's just my view. That's just my view. I recognize there's, and I respect anybody else's perceptions or views of that. And I think ultimately, what is God, I believe ultimately, you know, what does it say about God if, is God specifically focused on your behaviors or is God specifically focused on the motivations of your heart? Motivations of your heart. I believe God's focused on the motivations of your heart. Right, and because of sin, like, there are situations that happen in this world that would otherwise not have happened. Exactly. You know, there are... Exactly. You know, there there are things that humans have done, right? Like, we've genetically modified things, we've changed the structure of how things actually are made at this point. So it's not as it was intended originally. So there may be things that are happening that aren't necessarily obviously within God's plan, but like that's the deal, right? Like um, there's research that shows that um, these, uh, some of the pesticides and different things actually cause gender confusion in animals, okay? So like an animal doesn't know, right? Like, oh, well, there's another male and there's another female whatever like there it's just an instinctual thing right but this the, the, the modification of the genes and the, all that kind of stuff has caused these animals not to to recognize that like they should be mating with a you know they're a male and they should be mating with a female to continue their species and they don't know what they are or what they should you know whatever mate with so like there's a likely, it seems reasonable that that also could have happened to people, right? Over time, like if it, if it affects animals, it's, I mean, we're all, you know, subject to change, right? Due to our environment. So like, just because it's happening does not mean that it was the original intention and plan, but also you get to a certain point where your genes are so changed that you may not have actual control over what's happening. Like the animals are not choosing at that point to do what they're doing. It's genetically 
predisposed to them at this point. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it what the original plan was. But the animal's not doing it purposely to be wrong. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a study that they did on it. At least one that I read. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's others. Mm. That's good. So any final thoughts here before we, you know, kind of put a ribbon around everything, tie up any loose ends or or any ideas? I have, I wrote down something really interesting that I want to just bring you guys' attention to here before we close it out. Um, This is something that I've learned recently. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Now, let's think about that. In verse 12, Paul describes addiction, right? Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything, okay? In verse 17, he describes connection. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So Paul kind of understands that concept that the key to not being mastered by anything is to stay connected both to God and to people. What do you guys think of that? It's definitely a huge factor, that's for sure. Right? I mean, you could argue there are things out there that are very, very addictive, and there are people who have those, um, you know, they got issues that they don't even realize that are unresolved, and they get themselves into this thing that's very addictive, and they don't ever get out of it. It's, you know, it fills that hole. Right. So. Right. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's interesting. Okay. Let's uh, let's power bow our heads and. Can Can I say yeah. one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and if you go to a part of verse nineteen and and twenty where it's the last part of nineteen and we're up to twenty where it says. You are not your own, mm. for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Mm. You know, and and then it's, you know, how he says it, it's like a, you know, a command, you know, you, you know, you're not your own, you know. It, it just seems so, you know, firm how he comes about it. But if you look back at the words and you, you reread it and you... It's kind of like, it's almost like a, you were given an honor because, you know, he paid for your life and, you know, you were bought by a price, but you're his and, and, and how, I'm not saying the right words, but, you know, what an honor to be his. Mm. You know, and, and to flip that from some firm demand to, like, you're his. You should be excited. You should mm-hmm. be doing everything you can to, you know, magnify him and glorify him. And, and you know, and, you know, because you are in love. You, you know, when someone's in love, you fall in love and you 
you they're crazy doing things, buying them little presents and, you know, doing special things for them and you're showing up on time and, you know, crazy things that you do. And, you know, it's like we should look at those words and be like, I am so lucky. I am so lucky. I am his. He died for me. He loves me. And I am, you know, I'm so special. I'm special to him. Mm-hmm. And it's if we look at it that way, it's just, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting overwhelmed with emotions. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. Bottom line is that, like, you know, up in 12, it says everything is permissible, right? Mm-hmm. But if we choose to be, you know, godly, live, you know, by his principles, then we are making the choice. We're not forced, right? Like, we can do whatever we want. But we're making the choice to say that our body is not our own, mm-hmm. right? And with that choice comes responsibility is not really the right word, but kind of, right? Like, you get married and you make a choice, right? Nobody's forcing you to get married. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess some cultures, yes, arranged marriages, that kind of thing. But, like, in this culture... You know, in normal circumstances, you're not forced to get married. So at that point, like, you're not choosing to, right? Like, if, if you don't choose to follow God, then you're you're free to do whatever you want. But if you make that choice, then your body is not your own at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Because you were paid for by, right, like, that choice. So I think that's the difference. It's not, it's not like, well, just because you're a human, right? God created the, the earth. Because you're a human, you need to abide by this. No, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. Everything's permissible. Mm-hmm. But you made that choice, and you need to stand by it or get out. Mm-hmm. 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 That's good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this conversation. And we praise you. I praise you, we praise you, and our church praises you that you're a God that does not focus on right deeds and right behaviors. You're a God that focuses on condition of heart and heart motive. And, you know, that's a God that's um, that's worthy of our worship. Because, you know, just like you were able to look through David's life, King David's life, and, and see past his behaviors, but recognize his heart motive, And you yourself said, David is a man after my own heart. And that is just so profound. And God, I pray that, you know, for everyone who hears this podcast, who um, joins us in person, who is committed to growing and understanding who you are, that God, they will have the confidence and they will know that you say the same thing about us. You considered, insert your name. He's a, he's a woman. He's a man. He's a child after my own heart. And may we, may we live up to that standard. May we, may we be like Paul that says, I can do anything I want. But it's to your glory. It's, it, it's not going to damage my body. And it's motivated by love for others. And God, I just pray for um, 
a deeper indwelling of your spirit into our hearts as we internalize these things and as we grow and as we share them with others this week. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.